Hi there. I hope you're doing well, fighting the good fight, taking good care of yourself and being true to yourself. I'd like to start today by reading you a short poem by Rumi called The Price of Kissing. He says, I would love to kiss you. The price of kissing is your life. Now my loving is running to my life shouting, what a bargain, let's buy it. I would love to kiss you. The price of kissing is your life. Now my loving is running to my life shouting, what a bargain, let's buy it. The reason I wanted to start with this poem is a lot of you have been writing me, those of you in the throes of the awakening process, and telling me the loneliness you're feeling, the pain of it all, uh, it's not what you thought it was. And the reason for that is what this poem is pointing to is this dismantling of our idealized self-image which is who we think we are. It's a beast of a thing. It's quite painful. Right? So the false self is the thing that we all believe we are. And what Rumi's talking about here, the part about the price of kissing is your life, it's the false life. So a negative way of reading this poem is, if you don't get that kiss, if you don't offer up the life, you live this desperate life that many of us live where we are disconnected from ourselves, where no matter what comes our way, no matter how much success we have or no matter how much we consume or how much we eat or how much we fuck or whatever the thing is that we think is going to do it, it doesn't do it. So we end up living these lives of quiet desperation and anxiety without an awareness that there's something else there. And then the other side of the coin is, for those of you who've been seeking, who are starting to quote-unquote find what you were looking for, the you that was seeking it isn't the you, the true you. So when Rumi says, now my loving is running to my love, shouting, what a bargain, let's buy it, you have to understand there's an equal and opposite force which is the part that is not the loving, that it's not running towards it. Except as our Indian brethren say, your head's already in the tiger's mouth. You're past that point of going back to the old life. Somewhere when we are between the old and the new, which can take years, that can take decades, it can be a lonely place. Rest assured that that's not what we're doomed to. That's the time period where the old illusions keep falling apart. The vasanas, these body-mind tendencies that we carry from incarnation to incarnation that can manifest as strains or weaknesses, as neurotic impulses, as drives. It takes time for them to get dismantled. So when we get close to the center, it can be a very lonely process. People we've known for a long time we can't hang out with anymore. Things that got us excited before, got us driven before, don't work anymore. So it can be a confusing place. 
And remember what I always tell you, as you get closer to the center, sometimes you actually need a grounding or meditation practice more than you needed it when you were away from the center. Because it's a different way of getting our bearings day to day. So we might be in relationships that don't quite fit anymore or at jobs that don't fit anymore. And yet we're not ready to make the move. We're not ready to shift. So by grounding in ourselves, we can get the clarity and also to have the patience to learn to let things unfold. Something that's really easy to forget when we're in that lonely place is if you pay attention, a lot of the suffering that you were suffering before isn't there anymore. The anxiety isn't there. The certain fears aren't there. But we forget about that really quickly. And we get really consumed by the fact that the loneliness is there or nothing fits anymore. So sometimes it's also helpful to pay attention to how far you've come. It might not be where you fully want to be, but again, the you that wants these things is very, very important to understand that that's part of the process. So that's part of the passage. That's the prices that we have to pay of truly being free beings in a culture that's so dissociated that doesn't even understand these things, that tries to mimic everything, that tries to subvert everything into a thing of consumption. So if you're not feeling that, you've bypassed it. So I know it sucks. I know it's a process that's painful. And I know I hear this from many of you. God knows I've been through it. But have patience. It really, you are on a rail track. It's got a very specific destination and it will carry you. But you have to learn to tolerate the quietude. And that's a tall order in a culture that's so based on movement as a way of not feeling it. Right? So learn how to hold that aloneness. It will change. Let that be your talisman. But again, it's not easy when you're in the throes of it. And you don't have a choice anyway. There's no going back. You really can't put it back in a box. Just have patience in the knowledge that that can be a long process, can be a long-ass process for many of us, because you're dismantling the old. And this can only happen in earnest, in solitude. So you might have to be in your quote-unquote old life for a while before things change, but you have to have a space where you can sit and hold this solitude without having to manipulate it. Right? So learn how to power down. Learn how to find and run on your own true energy as opposed to what most of us do, which run on adrenals and coffee and anxiety and social media. So we have to give up being mobilized all the time. And what I mean by mobilized is we're constantly in this hyper-awake state because of our anxiety, right? So the constant thinking we do when we wake up, we're constantly checking the phone. That's survival. That's not living. So the invitation of the awakening process is to go from survival mode to living. It doesn't mean that we can't feed on social media or think. It just means we have to be aware when we're doing it from a neurotic impulse of running away from ourselves because we truly are frightened from that, as crazy as that might sound. 
and we have to invite living as opposed to survival. So pay attention to where in your life you're mobilizing yourself. What substances are you using? And anything can be used for that mobilization. It's not just the things that we know. You know what I mean? It's not just coffee and watching six Netflix back in a row. That's just one part of it. We can use spirituality. The ayahuasca thing again, like all day long, I'm talking to people who are doing all these journeys, all these journeys, nothing's shifting because it's constantly keeping that survival mode on and not allowing the living process to shine through. Another thing that some of you have been writing me about is how people around you act weird as you're going through your awakening process. Just know this, just remember this. It scares people on an unconscious level when you start changing on a deep level. People, the culture, on an unconscious level will try to put you back in your box back in your survival box, back in the ego box, because it doesn't know how to handle it. Or as some of you have been writing me, like people can be reactive to you that you've known for decades and it's very painful. Yes, it's painful. Nothing can be done about that. All that can really be done is that you don't take it personally. In many ways, it's a backhanded compliment that you're on the right path. But it can get tiring. So what you can do again is to go inside and tend to yourself and then come back out. But we're all in a rush. We're all so in the immediate moment in this culture. We're not process-oriented. You have to learn to be in the process. And you also have to work on giving up, getting somewhere. All of this work is about truly being in a moment day in, day out. That takes a tremendous amount of practice and self-knowledge. Some of you have been writing me again about um, coming up or butting up against people um, that you've been fixing or taking care of and how you don't want to do it anymore. So just always remember that it's not your job to fix people. And I'm not even talking about healing because healing can only happen by the person. It really is fixing. And, and I do mean it in that negative term. So you have to let people have their own drama. It makes them feel alive, even though it's just survival, even though it's just poisonous. So you can just step back. Fixing is something we've learned, those of us who were wounded, as a child to survive. So fire yourself from that job. That's not your job. Love people where they are. That's the biggest gift you can give them or step back. But besides that, there's not much you can do. So don't get in the wrestling match. Tend to yourself. There is a level of disengagement that needs to happen initially before you re-enter the world and you'll make different choices. And like-minded others will come. But again, you do need a certain amount of time in solitude even though it sucks, even though it gets tiring, just to heal. Now, whether you're doing that in the middle of a city without changing something externally or you run away to the woods, that's your business. You can run into the woods and still run away from yourself. Or you can be in the middle of Manhattan or whatever city and around your crazy family and around your crazy friends and actually hold that space. 
Don't get caught up in trying to change the externals until you're ready. And you won't know when you're ready. Things will fall away. Things that aren't right will fall away. Many times I know from my own life, I've jumped the gun, shifted relationships, a marriage, a job, where I was trying to heal the inside by changing the outside. As I become an older goat, I've learned that if I just relax enough, the things that don't fit will fall away lovingly and kindly without the explosion. Now I can say this to you, having had many, many decades of explosions, so this is just learned you might have to go through that. But keep the awareness there. At least be aware when you need to blow things up because you can't sit in your own solitude. Now, I had written something a while back, and a lot of you had written to me. It was a quote from one of my talks, um, and it went something like, internal awareness without external action is insubstantial. Internal awareness without external action, is insubstantial. So what I meant by that is, when we get an awareness about something, and we fully get the information and not act on it, it actually starts putting discord in our life. Right? So some of you are like, yeah, non-action sometimes is the action. Correct. Well, non-action, if you look at it from a Taoist term, Wu Wei, it actually denotes a kind of action, meaning I have awareness to know that non-action is what needs to happen. Very few of us can have that amount of know-how in the moment. Many times non-action for us is paralysis. Don't confuse paralysis with non-action. These are separate things. So one of you had written something about like, yeah, shut the fuck up, man. We don't want to hear any more preaching. This 2019, we all know what we need to know. Just tell us some more stories. Fair enough. You're a junkie. You want to hear from one junkie to another? I'm going to tell you a killer story. But do understand, 2019, 2029, I don't care, man. We do not know. All you need to do is look outside the window and realize there is a big change of foot. And many of us, are very unconscious in our ways of being, no matter how far we are on a spiritual path. So a constant self-awareness and taking of self-inventory is important. That's a very dangerous attitude to be like, yeah, I know everything. Like, it's not true. As self-centered beings, you can never underestimate the power of the unconscious to wreak havoc in our lives. So here's a story for you. Um, this is going back in the 80s. This is probably like in the top three crazy things that have ever happened to me. But it's interesting. I always tell people and I have to say to myself that when I say crazy, what crazy means is that we are so hypnotized. We are on such a thin line of what we accept as reality. Then when something happens outside of it, it sounds weird or crazy. And those are the two words I use. Everyone uses, that was such a weird thing happened. Actually, no, magic is actually when you step outside of this conscious hypnosis we all live under, which is very, very limited. So this is back in the 80s. I had blown my top, had these kundalini experiences, and there was a six or seven month period. I don't really remember because time was so stretched out is the best way I can describe it. It felt like years and it felt like two seconds. So I used to do biofeedback 
teach people how to relax using these machines I would hook up to them. And there was this lovely, lovely man that I used to work with. And this is where three-piece suits were in mode. And he had this amazing Pierre Cardin three-piece suit. And he was so dressed up and looked fine, corporate guy. And a hippie at heart. Hated his job. And like really tightly wound. You know, this is like when people's skin are a little too clean and their suits are a little too pressed and they're a little too close shaven, like that kind of thing. But a lovely soul. So this story connects to that quote of internal awareness without external action is insubstantial. So over the, I don't know how many sessions that we did before, I would teach them relaxation techniques, measure their brain waves, teach them how to relax. We would have conversations. He hated his job. So his internal awareness was that he hated his job. But he wasn't ready to move or he was paralyzed to move. You know, the, the constant conversation was, you know, I'm married, I got to support my family. I hate this job. I hate this corporate world, but I got to do it. I got to do it. I'm, and my thing to him was like, just be open. Be open to possibilities. I mean, he was, I mean, I was a kid then. I was in my early 20s, but he seemed old, but he probably wasn't like older than his mid-30s. So it was just so painful to be at such a young age to me, seeing someone like him at his young age, I was already stuck in this thing. So he knew something had to change. He didn't know what it was. So we were doing the meditation in this sunlit room. I got him all hooked up to the machines. As I'm working with him, I have this little kundalini burst, go in this very expanded state. And the best way I can describe it is we disappeared. But I mean, literally, the two of us disappeared in a room. Part of my consciousness was in the room. I was aware of his consciousness. And then the machines just dropped. It's like as if all these things that hooked up to him fell on the ground. It's, it's very, very odd experience. And the machines actually went silent. It's like they, they stopped reading and we disappeared. And as we were expanding into consciousness, so our intention from being attached to the bodies went to being attached to the bigger state of awareness. So we started expanding and I was seeing his energy, my energy. Then I was on the roof. I was paying attention. I remember all this weird air conditioning ducts that were there. I was on 11th floor and this was on the 18th floor where the roof was. And we kind of start floating away isn't really the right word, but just expanding. And this could have gone on for 30 seconds or three minutes. I don't have a sense of time. But what happened was he got scared. And as he got scared, it was as if someone attached two anvils to our ankles and we just dropped into the body, dropped into the room. And the machines went crazy. The readings went crazy. All these beeping sounds. There was three machines. One was an EEG. One was a skin temp. One was a skin conductance. They all started making all these crazy sounds. And we both realized what happened, that he got scared. So then I was like, Joe Blow, relax. There's nothing to be afraid of. We did some breathing. And then this time it was a more gentle, conscious expansion. And we disappeared again. And the machines kind of went silent and we kind of expanded. And it was this really gorgeous, beautiful, even as I'm speaking to you and I can just feel it. I can just feel this expansion so lovely. And this is what conscious dying is like. It's so delicious. 
it's so normal. I mean, some of us, some of you might have had some experience of that in certain types of meditation or in moments when you're staring at something and you just kind of lose sense of self. Just this ego dissolving is so delicious. This knot that we protect and so tightly are wound around, when it loosens, it's just so lovely. But it takes these occasions to have an experience of it because we're so hypnotized by it. So session ends sort of have this odd goodbye. I had this big African, beautiful print fabric, huge, on my wall. And he asked me, he's like, hey, can you cut a piece of this for me? I don't ever want to forget this moment. I'm just like, yeah, like you're going to forget this moment, homeboy? I don't think you will, but sure. So I take a scissor that I had for cutting the tape for attaching these instruments, go underneath my table and cut a little two-by-two-inch piece and give it to him and don't see the guy anymore. I don't know, it's like a couple of years later, probably like a year and a half later. I'm walking somewhere downtown and I'm like, I should walk through Washington Square Park. And like, I don't like Washington Square Park. Those days anyway, I just wasn't a fan of it. So I walk towards Washington Square Park as I'm walking through, this homeless guy says my name, what I thought was a homeless guy. Abdi, and I look around and it's like kind of hippie dude with like beard and long hair. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? I'm like trying to, can't place this guy. Is this someone I'm treating one of the shelters? Like, I don't, I don't know this person. I'm like, yeah. And he says my name again. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't, do I know you? He's like, yeah, it's Joe Blow. And I'm like, holy shit, Joe Blow, what happened to you? Where's the suit homeboy? What's going on with like the rags and all that? He opens his wallet, shows me the fabric that I had cut for him. He's like, yeah, man. When that whole thing went down, within the next couple of weeks, I quit my job. I went, he had gone to Eastern Europe and opened up uh, a foundry for newborns and was running this amazing operation helping these unwanted babies. So internal awareness, I got a change. External action, it took something like that for him to be like, I need to act because this is killing me. And Part of the reason I didn't recognize the guy because he looked so young, like literally this old man, dead energy had lifted off of him and he looked like some 16-year-old hippie. I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that's what I mean about internal awareness without external action is insubstantial. Now, this is once in a lifetime experience. I've never had the experience with a patient before of the tens of thousands of people I've treated you don't have to wait for something like that. If you're getting internal awareness about something in your life that's not right, sit with yourself, meditate. When you meditate, ask your inner knowingness, show me. Show me how I can move. I'm afraid. Show me. I have no idea. When I was going through those phases in my life, I would ask for directions from my inner knowing, from my soul, to the point of like, yeah, I still don't understand what you're saying. Like, I know this relationship is not good for me. Show me how to handle this thing in a loving way. Give me the courage so I can actually act from a place where I'm not going to blow everything up, not create more harm. But also, I can't do this anymore. Please show me. So take this as an invitation to do that for yourself. Take this as an invitation when you're ready to... Get that kiss. To get that kiss 
because not getting that kiss is a life wasted. That's you on your deathbed looking back, even if you have a full life, full of regret. Trust me, I've sat at the bedside of many people leaving this plane. It's way more common than you, you might realize. And it doesn't have to be something dramatic like saving children in a third world country. It might just be that you're an artist at heart and you need to figure out how to do your art while you feed yourself. It might be that you're a healer at heart and you need to figure out how to feed yourself while you go into healing. That's a common thing for a lot of you right now. But you don't need to figure it out. This is one of the things that's very confusing. Once the internal awareness comes of there needs to be a shift, we freak out and we think we got to make it happen. Actually, it's the opposite. We have to step out of the way, that voice, that's that internal awareness that's telling you something is not right, will bring the next step to you. It's not going to be on your time. Actually, if you try to do it on your time, it can blow up. But also being stuck and being paralysis is not it either. So like everything else really fucking annoying about spiritual stuff is that middle line. You have to allow it to happen while you're acting, while you're not overstepping your own boundaries. That all involves having a relationship with yourself. So this takes us back to what I always tell you. Spend, even if it's a couple of minutes a day, grounding. That's how you hear that voice. That voice is very quiet initially. After a while of having a relationship with it, it's like on mega speakers. But there's a lot of dying that needs to happen from the moment where it's this faint, faint voice to the time when it's this loud, loud, booming, screaming voice. So learn to be in relationship with yourself. And I'm going to read that poem to you again. And I want you to feel your body. I want you to drop your breathing. I want you to feel your hands. I want you to feel your feet. I want you to take all the awareness out of your head and put it in your physical body and really feel your feet. I would love to kiss you. The price of kissing is your life. Now my loving is running to my life, shouting, what a bargain, let's buy it. I send you a big kiss, I send you lots of love, be gentle, be firm in equal measures.